where I've ever preached, <clears throat> the I've always had really good song leaders that were there for the congregation. I say we've always had good song leaders. And I always kind of had a deal with each one of them. They And they would mention it to me and they would say, send me your topic and I will pick a song that fits that. But I've never had one that picked the topics as so well or the, the songs to fit the topic as Carl. We sang the first one. I said, boy, Carl, you should have sang that one right before the lesson. That's a wonderful one. Then we sang the second one. I thought, well, man, that's even better than the first one. And then the last one really fit. And so I really appreciate uh, all the hard work he does. Uh, Blakely and I were coming home the other day, the other night. And you'll notice when you're driving around, it's the Christmas season. And you're going to see some candles in the window. And so she asked me if there was some sort of a religious connotation to that. And I said, well, you know, maybe. But I think for the most part, what it is, is people put it in the window because it shows your family how to get home. And that kind of reminded me of a song years and years ago before my time, but I listened to it growing up. I think it was Archie Campbell talking about the, the light in the window and his mama and all that kind of, I don't remember the words, but it always reminded me of my grandmother. And I always felt so sorry for her because she had kids strewn out all over the country. And then when I began to have kids strewn out all over the country, I really felt sorry for her. But I told her, I said, I think it's just uh, uh, a symbol of the door is open and that we want you to come home. And then I began to think about it a little more, so I investigated it just a little bit. And different cultures do that. And different cultures have different meanings for a candle in the window or a light in the window. And so I wanted to know how we came about having that in our culture. Well, it came to us from the Irish. In the middle uh, 17th century all the way up to the late 18th century, there was uh, heavy oppression by the British government over the people of Ireland concerning their religion. They were Protestant in nature, and so they had almost banned the Catholic religion. And so, what would happen is, uh, particularly around Christmas time, and and uh, uh, the Catholic Church, uh, uh, a big big thing for them is the Christmas Mass, and so uh, uh, the priests had to hide out into the wilderness in caves. And so Christmas time would come around, and those who were Catholic in that nation would leave their doors unlocked. And they'd put a candle in the window saying, you're welcome in my house. And so it just grew from that. Well, came over to our nation, not a, a particularly at that time, not necessarily a Catholic nation as a primary religion, but people began to use that to demonstrate their love for family members, those who had gone away and could not get home for Christmas, even those who had passed on and then as in... Uh, uh, memory of those folks, they would put a candle in the window demonstrating their great love for them and how they wished they were, they were home. And so, this afternoon, I want us to kind of think of that illustration as we look to Luke chapter 15. I have preached from Luke 15 a couple of times. I preached from uh, Luke 15 about the prodigal son uh, on one occasion where I looked at the whole uh, uh, 
illustration of the prodigal son and I, I focused on the father and the son and the brother and, and even, I even focused one time I thought how brilliant of myself to focus on the servants because I've never heard that. No one's ever talked about where the servants should have helped that young boy and lo and behold I came across something that was, uh, probably more than a hundred years old and there it was. Someone had beat me to the punch. And then I preached a sermon one time and I just focused on the, the older brother. That he was really the lost one in the, in the, uh, account or the parable. But I want us to look at something just a little different. I want us to talk about the mindset of the prodigal son. Have you ever thought about what was going on in his mind? As he was living with the hogs, as he was starving to death, and he said, you know, if I were able, I would even eat this food, the husks that were given to the hogs. Of course, any good Jewish boy would have never even had anything to do with hogs, let alone eating from uh, uh, the same slop where they were eating. I think that when we look at the prodigal, and we get past the, the the arrogance of the young boy. We may mention that, but we're not going. That's not going to be our point. The love of the father, the wastefulness of the money, just the sinfulness in general. I want us to get to this point where he has realized, I have made a terrible mistake. Not only has he realized he made a terrible mistake, but he realized he needed to fix that mistake. He needed to fix that mistake. He needed to get back to the father's home. He needed to repair that relationship and he needed to get back on track as a son of the Father. I think that he knew exactly what to do. I don't know that he really knew how to go about doing it. And that's kind of what I want to look at. Now, he figured it out. He figured out what he needed to do, but it must have been very difficult for him to figure that out. It must have been very difficult for him to decide exactly how can I go back home? How am I able to do that? Now I've given this sermon the title of going home. Going home because from time to time we all need to go back home. Now I want us to talk about when to go home, how to go home, and what can we expect to find when we make it back home. Those are things that I'd never really considered. Now, I want us to consider something else that I think is going to be a good illustration of this. Have you ever thought about amnesia that very much? Amnesia is an odd disorder. Amnesia relieves a person of their memories. doesn't matter how important they are, what they meant to the individual. They are just simply gone. A person may not know who he is, where he came from, why he is in the place he is, or anything. He just simply can't figure it out. He can't tell you his name, his birthday, what his address is, his phone number. Can't tell you how to get a hold of someone to help him. It's all gone. It's just like a blank sheet of paper. I read about a woman, this has been a couple years ago, when I began considering this, and I recalled it, uh, in California. She was a young mother, 
And she was walking along a highway. She didn't know who she was, how she got there. It was the early morning hours. The police saw her. They picked her up. And she could give them no information. Couldn't give her any, give them any information. They didn't know how to get a hold of anyone to help her. Couldn't get a hold of her family. She didn't even know who they were. Well, eventually, they figured it out. She came to remember who she was, what had happened, and what had happened is she had been kidnapped. And the trauma of that experience gave her temporary amnesia. That was one way her uh, mental faculties were used to help her overcome that situation. She just simply forgot about it. Now I believe there's a whole lot of that going on in the world, not the physical amnesia. I think we've got a problem with spiritual amnesia. I think people forget who they are from where they came, how they got to be where they were in a right relationship with God. They've forgotten the glory of being in that right relationship with God. Uh, I think they have forgotten how wonderful it is in the Father's house. I think that's what happened to this young boy that we read about in Luke 15. But he came to himself, and that's exactly what the Scripture tells us. And he came to himself. He had forgotten all that he knew. There is spiritual amnesia. And I think one of the problems that we need to address is, is a lot of folks... Forget how to get home. Have you ever noticed the longer you put something off, the less likely it is that you do it? Whatever it is. Whatever it is. If you're supposed to build something at, at home for your wife, and, you know, maybe some folks, not me, maybe some folks might think, well, the longer I put it off, well, at least she might forget about it. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. I think the text under consideration this afternoon tells us how to get home. So I want to talk about going home. Uh, in this parable, the prodigal son, I think for all intents and purposes, he had spiritual amnesia. He forgot how to get home. He forgot when to go home. What, what he had been missing once he got home. And so I want us to start with that. I want us to begin tonight... In our passage, we're not going to read it. We're familiar with it. When should we go home? When is it that a person ought to come to the realization, look, I'm not at home anymore. We better not be feeling at home in this world, had we? Because that's a bad thing. We need to feel at home or we need to long for the home that awaits us. So when should we go home? Well, we ought to go home when we leave the father behind. That's in our text, isn't it? The prodigal left the father behind. Everything that he knew. And when we look at the, uh, the, the things surrounding that, he made a very disrespectful request, didn't he, of his father. He wanted his father to give him the inheritance that he would get. Now, he wasn't the, the oldest son. He wasn't the, the, the heir, so to speak. But he was going to receive something. He was going to receive a third of what the father had. You see, the older heir receives a double portion. 
So he would have received two-thirds. The young son would have received a third. He couldn't wait on the, the old man to die, right? So he wanted it now. He wanted it now. And I just think that's so disrespectful. So here's what he wanted to do. He wanted to throw off the authority of his father, and he wanted to live like he was dead. Now that's what happens to Christians who go astray. When we look in James chapter 5, James talks about saving the soul from sin. When you convert a sinner, what's he talking about? Who's he talking to? He's talking about Christians. A Christian can go back into the world. Galatians 5, 4, we talk about that a lot. Uh, those who tried to go back to the old law, Paul said, you've fallen from grace. You have to, you have to get back on track, right? I can't tell you the times I've talked about this with various people, and I make that very point, and they say, no, wait a minute. Those people weren't saved to begin with. Because a saved person cannot fall from grace. Well, listen, that's not what Paul said. Paul wrote his letter to the churches of Galatia. I think that's verse 2 of chapter 1. And he told them throughout the process of this letter, culminating in chapter 5, if you try to go back to the old law, you're going to lose your salvation. You're going to fall from the grace of God. That means that you have taken yourself out of the hand of God, and you are no longer subject to His grace. You know, it's not going to be an advantage to you. You have to come back home, right? That's what this prodigal understood. He's out sleeping with the hogs when he could have been at his father's house. He said, there's bread to spare at my father's house. Even the servants are treated better than I'm treated. So he needed to get back home. When the Christian realizes that he is gone, he better get, get himself in order and get back home. Right? He better get himself in order. As soon as you feel that your love for God has slipped, as soon as you feel like you're not close to Him any longer, as soon as you see signs of strain at that very moment, you need to come to yourself. You need to come to yourself. You know, here is the thing about, about sin. You know, we do not have to allow sin to carry itself on to its fullest measure. We can stop it at any point. We can actually stop it before it gets going, can't we? There's never a place in the New Testament that says it's sinful to be tempted. It is only sinful when you give in to that temptation, right? Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't give in to it. So just as soon as we see the red flag come up, we need to start paying attention. We need to get back where we need to be. We see a great example of that in the Apostle Peter, don't we? We talk about Peter as he stepped out onto that water, Matthew 14, 28 through 30. They saw the, the Lord walking on the water. They thought he was a ghost. And Peter, Peter called out and he said, If it is you, Lord, bid me to come to you. And of course, he, he bid him to come. And he stepped out onto that water and he began to walk toward the Savior. Now when we look at that uh, passage, what do we normally talk about? Well, things that are worthy to talk about. Taking your eye off of the Lord. Don't take your eye off of Jesus. That's when you fall, right? Absolutely a wonderful 
application. What about pridefulness? Peter wanted to get on the water too. We have to watch our pridefulness, right? But here's something very rarely that we talk about, and I think it is a phenomenal lesson, something that we all ought to learn. When he stepped out on the water and he began to walk, and then he began to look around, when he did take his eyes off of uh, the Lord and he began to sink, do you know what the first thing came out of his mouth was? Lord, save me. He didn't wait till he got to the bottom of the sea. As soon as he began to sink, he reached out for help and he asked the one who could help him. When is it time to go home? Immediately. When we feel ourselves leaving God. What about this? When should one go home? How do we go home? Well, it's time to go home when we begin to live like the world. When you leave God behind and you begin to live like, live like the world, we understand when our lifestyles change. We understand when we begin to do things that we should not be doing. That doesn't sneak up on us. We recognize it. Now, what often happens is it's overlooked. You know, a person can come up with a million good reasons to participate in sin. And, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be what we would term the big bad sins, right? Murder, uh, unfaithfulness. It can be any sin, right? Any sin. We need to be very aware when our lifestyles change. After a young son left his father's house, what happened to his life? It went straight down, didn't it? It was just a spiral into one bad thing leading to something that's worse. When did he need to go home? Right then. When he got to the end of that driveway or whatever it was, when he got up the road from his father, he should have thought about what he was doing because he recognized what was going on. It was his fault. He should have returned home. That boy took everything his father had earned and he threw it away. Now, we learned that when he went into that far country, he wasted his possessions. Now that phrase is connected to the idea of winnowing grain. Well, you winnow grain by stomping on it or having uh, the oxen trample on it. It breaks the husk off of it and they toss it up in the air. The husk blows away and the grain falls to the floor. Well, that's what he did. He threw his father's goods to the wind of sin and watched them blow away. When did he need to go home? He needed to go home right then. Paul told those in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Here's something we better understand, and we better understand it quickly. There is a difference between Christians and people who are not Christians, people who live in a sinful lifestyle. And I'm not talking about good folks, good moral upstanding folks who have simply not become New Testament Christians, but they are still in sin because they have not followed the directives that God has put forth how to wash that sin away. 
They're not terrible people, but they are simply not saved people. So there is a difference, and Christians better understand that. We better understand that. When we look at the prodigal, we look at his mindset. When should he have gone home? When he left the father behind and he began to live like the world. That's clear. Excuse me, that's clear. But how should he have gone home? Maybe that's where he messed up more than anything else. I don't know that he exactly knew how to go home. But here's something I do know. If we're ever going to go home, we have to go home with resolve. We have to make up our minds. We can't have a foot in the world and a foot in Christ because it doesn't work that way. We're either in, in Christ or we're not in Christ. Right? You can't, you can't be in a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light. They don't coexist. If you're in darkness, it's the absence of light. Right? The young man made up his mind. We have to give him that. He was going to go back to the Father. Just as he had left everything behind and he wanted to go into the far uh, country, he resolved that he was going to leave that lifestyle back and he was going to return home. That's how you go home. You have to have resolve. You have to determine, right? We have to decide for ourselves. What about the blessings in the Father's home? Do I want to go back? What do those blessings mean to me? We talked this morning about uh, the characteristics that David demonstrated in 1 Samuel 17, when he fought or stood against the giant, he knew that it was worth the persecution, the opposition, the obstacles to overcome those. The blessings were worth more than, than having to fight through that stuff. And that's what, we, that's what all Christians have to do. If Christians leave the Father's house, they have to understand what those what those blessings mean. And they better be willing to pay whatever the price is to return home. What did it cost a young man to, to, to go back home? I don't know what it cost him. I don't know how far away he was. I know that he must have been a good distance because he must have been in a position where he couldn't get there very easily or else he wouldn't have been wanting to eat the slop given to a hog. But then he resolved he was going to do whatever it took you know, it takes a it takes heart, a heart of resolve to get back home. If we're going home, we have to want to get there. John warned, first John two sixteen, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. If we find ourselves away from home, we should not allow anything in hindering us. To get back. I don't think anything is too expensive to get back home. I don't think jobs are worth it to stand in the way. I don't think friends are worth standing in the way of going home. I don't think families are, are worth uh, staying in to go home. Friends, interests, addictions, whatever the case may be. Nothing is worth hindering one from getting back home. And, and everyone better do what it takes to get there if they find themselves away from home. When we go home, we have to go home with resolve. But here is the thing. One must return in repentance. You notice what the, the prodigal didn't do? 
He didn't show up at home just like he'd never been gone. <laughs> you know, that's not what he did. He just didn't appear one day like he'd been there the whole time and, and just picked up where he left off. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? A Christian may be absent. Something may have happened. You might not see him for six months. And I'm not talking about uh, having to, to go away for a while and, and having to find a congregation somewhere else or having some kind of a sickness or something like that. I'm talking about allowing oneself to get back into the world and then you just show up back at services or whatever the case may be like nothing ever happened. That is not what the prodigal did. Because that's not repentance. Not only did the young son experience a change in circumstances, he experienced a change in heart. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. And that led to his actions. He was willing to confess his wrongs to his father. Who likes admitting they're wrong? I don't know anyone that enjoys that. I know a lot of people who are better able to do it than some other folks, but no one enjoys it. I don't see a lot of people looking around where they messed up just so they can go admit it to everyone that you made a mistake. But we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to acknowledge to the Father and to those who know us that are aware of it that we've made a mistake. We have to go home, and we have to go home on God's terms, not our own. God will receive us. He's standing there with open arms. We see it in the parable, don't we? But we have to repent to get there. Sin is what evicts us from the house, from the home. And we need to be able to overcome that. John assured us, 1 John 1, 9. He said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the cleansing is there. It's available. But we have to access it through confession and repentance, right? You remember Simon the sorcerer, Acts 8, 24? He tried to buy the gifts of the apostles with money because that's how he, that's how he made his living. He was a magician, right? Slide of hand kind of person. And people thought he had powers. He knew he didn't have any powers. But he wanted them. He saw some real ability. And he said, I'll give you money. Not only did he want the ability to do it, he wanted the ability to give others that gift. Only the apostles could do that. And so Peter said, you better repent. You better repent. What's repentance do for us? Brings humility back to our lives. Brings humility back to our lives. I think everyone at some point in time or another can use a good dose of humility. Notice what David said. We spoke of David this morning, Psalm fifty-one, seventeen. We referenced his confession. We talked about the terrible things that he did. Adultery, murder. He lied to God and everyone else. Notice what he said. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. We get over to 1 Samuel. I think it's about chapter 15. Samuel was supposed to, or uh, excuse me, Saul was supposed to have annihilated the Amalekites. He didn't do it. And so he wanted to, uh, one of his excuses was, well, 
after finally he blamed the people for keeping everything, the good stuff, he said, we wanted to offer sacrifice. Sam, you said a sacrifice? The fat of lambs, is that as good as, as obedience? Well, of course it's not. Of course it's not. Repentance brings us back to humility. We know when to go home. We've talked about how to go home, and I think those are the things that, that this boy did. Now I want us to notice going home and what the returner can expect when he gets there. What, do we, what will we find? What will one find at home if you've been gone for a while? What happens when you put that candle in the window and you haven't seen your family for a while, whether it's your parents or your children or, or whatever the case may be? What, what happens when you get in that house? It takes you an hour to get to a seat, doesn't it? Everybody's hugging you. They're glad you're there, talking to you. You're standing right by the door. It's open. The cold air's coming in. But everybody's focused on your physical presence being there. And they are so happy you're there, they forget about everything else. What do we call that? It's love, isn't it? It's love. Is there a better sight? Then looking out the window and you haven't seen your child for a long time and here they come driving in the driveway? Well, it doesn't get better than that. See, when you get home, the first thing you're going to find is love. If you come home the way God wants you to. The young son found at home what he could not experience in the far country. The love of his father. How many friends did he have, by the way? you remember? Well, he had a few people that were hanging around just long enough to spend his money. But I don't read about someone offering him to come over for supper. Can I take you to get some lunch? Do you even get a break from slopping pigs? I don't know. But he didn't have it. He didn't have it. The world offers us Heartbreak, lost families, lost health, lost friends, and lost souls. When do you need to come home? When you want to find all those. How do you come home? The way God wants us to. And when we get there, we're going to see love. The Father's love was manifest in a whole lot of ways. The Son found his father. You know what his father was doing? Watching. Waiting. Looking up the road. When I read that parable, I can't help but see a father standing on the road, looking up the road and spending a lot of time doing that. Because he knew there was someone out there that he wanted to be back home. Now I don't think they probably put candles in the window, but if they did, he probably had a lot. See, he found his father waiting. The fallen Christian must understand God does not stop looking. God has never stopped looking. We just need to look for him. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He found his father waiting and watching. He also found a father who was moved with compassion. Have you ever been so happy that you shed tears? You ever been so happy to see someone, maybe you were worried about them, and, and, and you grabbed them up and you couldn't help but cry? 
You might have wanted to kill them for scaring you so bad, but you wanted to hug them and love them first. So that's what he found. He found a father moved with compassion. Now here's something that the father felt. He felt his own pain. But a compassionate father feels the pain of the son as well. Have you ever thought about how God feels when someone leaves him? Well, he's, he is devastated. But do you know how he feels when you come back? Oh, well, he's happy. The angels of heaven rejoice. But he still hurts because of how the person who repented, the sincere person, because they're hurting at what they did. That's why we have to rely upon God to forgive us. And somehow we have to move through it. Think about Paul. Throughout his life, Paul always grieved at the things he did. He called himself the chief of sinners. He was nearing the end of his life. He grieved over what he did. I don't know that that ever leaves anyone. Because we are people of emotion. But the Father understands that. You know, that son must have looked awful. Probably dressed in rags, filthy, living with the hogs. You know what the father didn't care about? That. He was just glad he was home. That's why the shepherd, or that's why Jesus said that the shepherd left the 99 safe ones and he went out and he found that one that was lost, Matthew 18, 12. Finally, the son found a father who ran to meet him. Now I wonder if the elderly father looked silly running up the road to meet his son. You know, their dress was a little different than ours. They wore, in fact, dresses. When they went out to work, they had to gird up their loins, they had to pull their dress tail up, tie it around them so they could work in the fields. I don't know that the father took time to gird up his loins. He probably just ran to meet his son. I don't know what that looks like, but it may have looked odd. I don't know. I don't know if he did or not, but I know this. He didn't care. He did not care. He was glad to see his son. Now, do you remember the punishment for rebellious and a stubborn child under the law of Moses? Stoning. They stoned them to death, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. So you know that this father was overjoyed that this boy repented. What will we find when we get home? We're going to find love. You know what this boy found? Luxury. Luxury. The son was given the best robe. No longer was he...